Hello and welcome to the Inside Elland Road podcast, episode 102. The Euros are here. Joe, I've taken down the picture of the Queen. I've put the wall chart up in its place. I am excited for the European Championships, the 2020 European Championships. Um, and given that I normally have to contain your natural effervescence for life, I suspect that you're just about bouncing off the walls, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> how are you feeling? How are you feeling about England in the Euros? Terrible. England are terrible at European Championships and have been for my whole lifetime, pretty well, my living memory um, lifetime. So, fingers crossed they can reproduce some of the magic that we saw at the the World Cup in terms of how far they got. But I never feel good as an England supporter when the Euros roll around because it's just tinged with bad memories and just everything that that brings. I have gone on a bit of a journey when it comes to England. Obviously, England are not my team. Um, I just came here to take your jobs and uh, one of your women and that kind of thing. Um, But I remember growing up at Windsor Park, whenever they would read out the halftime scores, if England were ever losing, there was a tremendous cheer went up. Um, And and obviously, being Northern Irish and supporting a, a Scottish team, I always felt an affinity to Scotland. And so that comes with kind of a natural kind of uh, attitude, I suppose, towards England. But I did feel at the last tournament that it wasn't the same kind of very, very easy to dislike England. Um, And and I wonder if that had been the absence of certain characters who had become very easy to dislike (laughs) over the years. Um, you know, John Terry's and the like um, and the, the England team was actually you know just a bunch of young lads giving it a good go and Southgate seemed like a nice chap and and I kind of I felt you know I'd, I'd be all right if they won this um, you know we, we've been hearing about 66 all of our lives so maybe it would be nice to hear about something different because um, England did actually win a World Cup in 1966 Um, And it's been coming home ever since. Um, If it actually came home, maybe we could stop hearing it's coming home. I mean, for the rest of us, I think that would be quite good. And I kind of feel going into this tournament, I wouldn't mind England succeeding. I mean, obviously, I have a vested interest because the further Calvin goes in the competition, the better it is for us content-wise. I'll make no bones about that. But I also think I like Southgate. I, I, I like I like him as a person. You know, he spends a lot of time at Elland Road, clearly a man of taste. Um, and also, some of the players that they've got, I quite like as well. I mean, I, I don't mind admitting I really like Jack Grealish, um, the Francesco Totti of the England setup. Um, I don't mind him at all as a player. I don't mind watching him play. I think Mount's quite nice to watch as well. Harry Kane, obviously, devastating finisher uh, and Ben White I would really love to see Ben White play some football this Euros so an England team containing Ben White and Calvin Phillips for me I'd be okay with them winning I think um, I think like you say the the sort of young nature of, of the squad from 2018 is sort of still developing obviously it's three years on from that tournament where they got to the semi-finals but it does feel 
very different in terms of the attitude to how these players um, even embrace going away. I know Jack Grealish was obviously asked yesterday, I think in his press conference, about the fact that some players used to talk about the fact that they dreaded going away with England. There was always sort of a secluded atmosphere in terms of like, there'd be Man U players, Chelsea players, that kind of thing, all sitting and eating dinner and they wouldn't sort of mix other than when they were training. But it doesn't seem to be that kind of attitude. And I think you have to give credit to that for that, to Southgate, for what he did at the 2018 World Cup and how he's brought these young players in to make going away with England sort of a pleasure, a joy. People want to go and, and represent the country. It's not a chore anymore. Obviously, there's always going to be the limelight of the press and the media and the stories that they bring don't seem to have any sort of major controversy going into this tournament which is a a nice change but yeah I think it's hard not to pull for sort of young lads who are just trying to do their best for the country sort of taking everything in a stride and and it feels like there's a real connection to these sort of players and has been for a, a fairly long time obviously Southgate will get criticism for his tactics and things like that but I don't think you can knock many of the players really I think they're, they're all quite likeable relatable and hopefully Calvin gets to be part of that. I mean, we didn't mention Phil Foden. It says a lot, I think, about the atmosphere in an England camp going into the, the final days before European Championships that really the biggest talking point has been Phil Foden's hair. Um, I mean, that's, 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 I mean, it's ridiculous that so much time was devoted to Phil Foden's haircut. But also it's a good sign that, you know, there's no rumblings, you know, and, and there's no... You know, players walking out of training and um, complaining about the setup, or um, so I think that can be only, only be a good thing for England. That, that you know, if that's your if that's your biggest talking point this week, then things are going pretty well, I'd say. Well, that's it. I think when you think about the build-up that we've had over well since the season finished, basically, obviously Calvin got injured, so it was a bit worries, but all the focus has sort of been on the injured players and the football and who's going to be fit. And it's just been a nice change. The whole sort of discussion around Harry Maguire, whether he's going to start Ben White getting called up for Trent Alexander, it's all sort of been geared towards how are England sort of going to set up in that first game. Whenever you flick the TV channels on, whenever you go on the website, so flick through a paper, it's, all, it's, it's about the football and that's the, the big thing, I think. And hopefully, like you say, we'll see, see Ben White and Calvin Phillips lining up for England. Can you imagine said that sort of 12 months ago? when they started the the eight-game run to the Premier League, saying these two are potentially going to be leading England out at, at a European Championships. It's quite a, quite a 12 months for both of them. Yeah, I I mean, I might be wrong about this, but I'm sure that we talked in the podcast around that time or last season that the delaying of the European Championships was maybe a good thing for players like Calvin and and Tyler in particular. Um and, and Ben White, I suppose, by association, because it was going to give them an extra year of Premier League football to, to state their case. Um, let's let's just park the Euro talk for now. We'll come back to it. Um, we'll talk about Leeds United first off and do a bit of a, a roundup of what's been going on. We still haven't got confirmation of Marcelo Bielsa's uh, new contract, but nobody at Ellen Road is panicking. Um, and, and whilst... It was the situation last summer that nobody was panicking all the way through the summer and yet we still didn't get news until the day before Liverpool. Um, I suspect this one will happen a lot quicker 
from what we're led to believe, there's no wrangling. Negotiations have, have finished. It's just a case of the uh, the paperwork, which, of course, when you're not just dealing with one uh, employment contract, you're dealing with 10 because of his staff and you're dealing with 10 visas. I'm quite sure it's a fairly arduous task. So um, they're just in the paperwork stage. Um, and of course, you have to prioritise when you're the head coach of Leeds United and when there are under 12s who need um, to be put through the murder ball. Trifle matters like contracts can can go on the back burner. Um, just how brilliant do you think it was for those kids that Marcelo actual Bielsa came and took their training session in midweek? It would have been incredible wouldn't it, for those kids to see him sort of like slowly walking over the horizon. You know, like if their coach was like, we've got a nice little present for you today. And you're thinking, oh, it'll just be like one of the players, you know, no big deal. And then Marcelo Bielsa sort of walks through the gate. I think you'd um, lose your mind. I know I would have as a as a Leeds United fan growing up, like playing football, went down to training. Obviously, was never good enough to be in the academy. But in terms of if I was down at Roundy Park or, you know, my junior football side and like the Leeds United manager walked through the gates, I can imagine little Joe would absolutely lose his so-and-so. So I can't imagine what that will have left. You can imagine that those kids would have gone to school the next day and they would have been talking about it for hours and hours with the mates saying, oh, you'll never guess what happened last night. It's almost one of those things where like, it's, it's like kids teasing them and then the mates won't believe them because it's sort of that unbelievable. Um, but fantastic sort of thing for him. And I think it shows just how much affection he has and how much he's fallen in love with the the whole place really that in a summer break when he can sort of do what he wants and go off like all the players are, you know, Jack Harrison's in Costa Rica or whatever and all the other players are in Portugal. He's just spending time with the kids at, at Thorpe Arch. It's, um, it's really nice to see. Did you have any encounters with uh, footballers or, or Leeds players when you were a youngster? I went to a few like signing things. I don't think I ever... Like, there's there's lots of different things in terms of like I met Robert Snodgrass in a blockbusters, but that was a bit weird, you know, things like that. Um but I didn't like not in terms of actually training or anything like that. I remember I went to um like a Brazilian soccer school, um, like one Saturday morning. I think it was on Roundy Park, and I turned up in like my Lee Bowyer shirt. And I was getting like snares, like you can't play like that here and stuff like that. I never went back again, probably because of that situation. But yeah, I never really had any sort of in terms of, of footballers in training. But yeah, I've had meetings outside. I met Robbie Savage actually at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. That was a fun experience. That was in, I think it was the morning after Leeds beat, or Derby beat Leeds as well, which made it great. It felt like he was following me around the country during half term. I think I'd been to Derby the night before and then the day after I'd, was wandering around Blackpool Pleasure Beach and Robbie Savage was there. A joy to behold, but no, what about you? Um, I remember meeting Pat Jennings, um, who was signing autographs at Newton Ard Shopping Centre, and my mum took me along, and um, and he asked me who I support, and I reeled off about eight clubs and international sides, including, I remember, I remember Rangers, obviously, but I remember saying Spurs, Aston Villa and Brazil in the list and, and Pat Jennings' eyes glazing over as I reeled off this list of teams that I supported. Um, I was I was maybe four or five at the time, I think. And then um, I was in a restaurant once and Timothy Dalton, uh, not the James Bond actor, uh, the Bangor FC goalkeeper, 
and Mark Kenny, the midfielder, were, were in the restaurant and I got their autographs, um, which was nice because I, I was a big Bangor FC supporter, went to a lot of games. Um, and then we used to play on Bangor rugby clubs pitches. We used to play football and, and sometimes even golf around there. And uh, <laughs> we used to get chased off the, uh, the pitch by the groundskeeper, Con McCall, who used to drive across the pitches in his, um, I think it was a Mondeo, to chase us off. He was terrifying. But uh, Grimsby were touring Northern Ireland in pre-season and um, the Grimsby players were training at Bangor Rugby Club and so we went around to have a nosy and Gary Croft ambled over to chat to us about, I guess, Bangor and Northern Ireland. He was probably asking us about the troubles and stuff. And um, and I asked him if there was anyone there worth a million pounds. I think Clive Mendonca was there at the time. And Gary Croft said no. He laughed and said no, nobody's here is, is worth a million pounds. A couple of weeks later, Blackburn bought him for a million pounds. How could you lie to a child like that? I mean, that was that could have been my first ever transfer story. It's really stuck with yeah. it as well. It has, yeah. Um, and he knows as well, because I tweeted about it a few years ago and he liked the tweet. Didn't bother to reply or apologise. <laughs> uh, just liked the tweet. Um, so I think those are my only encounters with, with footballers when I was... Uh, I, I remember me and my dad seeing Terry Yorath walking into Windsor Park one night for Northern Ireland game. <laughs> Uh, great stuff. Heady days. Um, back to Leeds United news then. Tyler Roberts has a new deal. Um, Three-year deal taking him to 2024. We spoke to him over Zoom from Bacow, where he's at the, the Wales camp. Um, first time I've ever Zoomed somebody from Azerbaijan, I think, as far as I can remember. Um, and happy as Larry he was. Um, but I think the main point that came from all of his talk was there's a lot more to come. You know, when you speak to a lot of Leeds fans about Tyler, some for some the jury is out. Others are quite upbeat, but for all of them, they want to see more. But Tyler Roberts doesn't say any different to that. You know, he's probably probably his own harshest critic, um, but he believes he's got a lot more to show in terms of goal scoring and making assists. You know, he's clearly got something, Tyler Roberts. He's got a lovely turn. And he can create space for a shot really well. And I, and I really like that side foot finish that he favours, that really low side foot finish that brought him his first goal at Southampton. Um, the goal against QPR last season. Um, I, I, think it was, I think it's good business for Leeds to tie him down because if he can play a bit more football next season in the Premier League and score a few more goals and a few more assists, then they really could be developing a fine player there. I agree. I think um, he's obviously someone who's more of a longer-term project, I think, for Marcelo Bielsa. And I think if he's convinced Marcelo that he deserved a new deal, like you say, it sort of makes sense from all parties, really. He's someone who's in a, what is he, 22? He's at a crucial stage of his sort of next development. This season will be, I think, key to seeing maybe a more longer-term future coming up. But obviously, a great sort of deal for him, three years. And I think it's a shrewd move from Leeds because protecting an asset who's potentially sort of could go one way or the other in terms of whether he has a, a bright future at the club longer term. But I think we've seen enough from him in that run of games to suggest that there is a, a very, very good player in there. It's just trying to unlock it, get it out on a regular basis. And Marcelo Bielsa has obviously got that, got the job of, of trying to help him develop and learn. I agree with the majority of, of Leeds fans that, 
I think he deserved a new deal. I think it was a good piece of business. I think now it's up to him to sort of prove that he can be a Leeds United player for the next two, three years. Yeah, Bielsa obviously likes him, you know, and he, he trusted him with that big run of games. First real uninterrupted run of games he's had for quite a while, Tyler, but he's really experienced, you know, like for, for a 22-year-old, he's played a lot of football in the EFL, you know, had those loan spells, Oxford, Shrewsbury, and the other one. Um, and uh, and then since he's come to Leeds, he's played over 80 times. So um, he has seen quite a bit, played a role when it came to promotion. Good business, I think. He's not the only one that will get a new deal this summer. There will be a couple more we're expecting over the next few weeks. We're also expecting, before too long, the arrival of a left-back. We talked last week about Galan and some of the names. Um, the guy whose name has not yet emerged is, we're told, still factoring highly on the list. Um, Leeds want to move quite quickly. I mean, everyone wants to move quite quickly in the transfer market, but Leeds, I think Leeds feel quite confident they can get that done fairly swiftly. I think they feel the same on a midfielder. The winger, I think, there's still some deliberation over the one that they're going to go and get. So that might go a little longer into the transfer market. Um, although, of course, now that I've said that they want to move swiftly, the left-back will, will probably be a deadline day signing now and will be churning out names all summer. Um, and that'll be a great lot of fun. Um, so on to Llorente then. Diego Llorente. Uh Tested positive for COVID-19 this week. Devastating news for him, having battled back from a series of injuries that lead to this season. His first season in the Premier League, first season out of his native Spain, away from the comforts of home, speaking a new language. Um, been a very, very difficult season for him. And being removed from the Spain camp because of a, a COVID test was just rotten luck. I mean, he, he, he can't get a break, can he? If he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck. Um, but yet, just before we were recording, the uh, Spanish Football Federation have revealed that he has since tested negative. They will test him again today and they'll test him again tomorrow. And the hope is that if the tests come back negative, which would suggest he's not infected and instead it was simply a, a false positive, then he could actually be back in training on Friday afternoon, spend at Play Sweden until Monday. So the Euros could be, fingers crossed, back on for Diego Llorente. Good news, Joe. Great news. I think he's obviously, like you say, shown some great form in the sort of latter part of the stages of the season and was, I think, quite deserving of a, of a call-up for the form that he displayed. Just a huge blow for him at that on earlier this week to sort of get that news as you're gearing up for the Euros. Must have been sort of quite heart-wrenching for him to get that and then obviously to be shifted out of the camp and, and taken away. It'd be interesting to see how Spain go next week, whether Diego's there or not, just because of the way that their basically last week of preparations have been so interrupted. Imagine that a lot of the players are, are sort of world-class. They should be okay to deal with that. But it'll be interesting to see. It's just a huge shame for him if he, if he doesn't end up playing. So I think fingers crossed all round, really, because I think it's um, hugely deserved. Obviously got, was it Laporte now, to, who's made a late change from France to Spain to, to sort of battle as well for a spot at the Euros. So hopefully he can see some minutes if he, if he does get the, the old clear. Um, and the other hope, of course, is that Rodrigo, who's out there in a parallel bubble, um, a term that we would never have used 18 months ago, 
Um, one of the six players, I think it is now, that Spain have called up as a contingency plan in case they had a raft of positives following Sergio Busquets um, being popped for COVID-19. Um, the hope is that Rodrigo will make it into the final squad because Luis Enrique actually only named 24 players in his final squad before this COVID brouhaha. Um, and I, I just hope that he does end up taking 26 before he locks his squad. And I hope that Rodrigo is one of them because whilst I can see the benefits of him having a summer off, um, I can also see how he will be desperate to play. I can also see the benefits for him if he plays and does well and scores for Spain and, and turns in good performances. Plus, you want your players involved in this, don't you? Um, and we're going to come on to talk about this. But it's it's a really good sign for Leeds to have so many players potentially playing football at a major tournament. You know, it, if anything is an indicator of how far they've come, it's that. Um, so fingers crossed for both Diego Llorente and Rodrigo Moreno. Uh, let's talk about the Euros then, Joe. What are your what are your earliest Euro memories? I was trying to think about my earliest memories when we were talking about what we we're going to discuss on the podcast, and I think I think it's the Euro two thousand final. I think I'd have been about seven, six or seven, and I think it was France Italy, and that is pretty much it. I couldn't remember what the result was, but I remember sit, sitting and watching it. I don't remember anything else about the tournament. I think that's one of my sort of earliest memories of international football, full stop, really. So that's sort of, I guess, I think France won it in the end, looking at it before. And I remember, I just remember sitting watching it with my dad and being in awe about sort of this is what, not, not when you obviously fall in love with football, but, you know, thinking, oh, football's bloody great, isn't it? That was kind of thing. So, other than that, my Euros memories are horrendous because they're all to do with England. And ever since, sort of, my living memory of, of remembering how England have done in the European Championships, it's been horrific. Always been built up and always fallen down. I think, was it 2008, where we didn't even qualify? So, just just bad memories generally all around for the Euros in terms of supporting capacity. I think, was it 2004, obviously, the hype around Rooney going into that tournament? What was he, 18, 19 at the time? lose to Portugal on penalties, I think. And then, like I say, four years later, didn't qualify. And then 2012, I think Italy defeat on penalties again. It's just like, it's just a recurring nightmare, isn't it? You just keep, keep carrying on. 2016 was just, let's not even talk about 2016 because we lost to Iceland. I think the highlight of the whole tournament was Daniel Sturridge's late winner against Wales. And I don't think, no, no disrespect at all to Wales, but like for... England's highlight to be a late winner against Wales at an international tournament is nothing short of embarrassing. Um, so just bad, bad memories all around. Obviously, hopefully this year we can create a good memory with Calvin Phillips going there and, and change it all around. Obviously, in my family, as the surname suggests, there is an, another added layer of interest this year in terms of Scotland and north of the border. France. <laughs> France. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I wonder how Ilan Melier would pronounce my name. Sorry, they're getting off topic. Um, <laughs> but Scotland obviously will be a huge added interest for me this summer and it'll be nice to watch a game or two with my, my family, my dad in particular, who was it, 98, basically since the last time Scotland qualified for a 
an international competition. So hopefully there can be some memories made there because obviously there's a very Scottish contingent in the Urquhart clan. So I think the England-Scotland game is going to be one of the most difficult in our house and our family for a long, long time. There might not be any words spoken for a few days before and after. Imagine if Liam Cooper scores the winner against England. <laughs> Honestly, I think I would laugh for the rest of the day if that happened. I mean, you know, I'd obviously commiserate my English friends and family members and, and children. Um, but, uh, I mean, but that would just be, that would be quite a thing, wouldn't it? Um, I can remember Denmark winning in 92, um, but I only remember that, the goal. Uh, and I remember that Shoot Magazine did like a like a cartoon recreation of, of the goal, and I remember that because it was quite a good one. Um, 96 was the one that really captured me. And well, actually, my first the first tournament that really got me was 94 USA World Cup. I mean, that was just tremendous. Um, but 96, the Euros, I, by that stage, I was well into it. And um, I, think I was 13 at the time. I remember the Czech Republic being really, really good. I remember uh, Davor Suker being class for Croatia. Scored that amazing chip, didn't he, over uh, Schmeichel. I think that was that tournament. And then there was Gaza, who was a, a Rangers player at the time. Um, so immensely popular in my house. Um, and then he scored that unbelievable goal against Scotland. Um, but I think for me, my favourite Euros has to be the one where I actually had a, a dog in the fight when Northern Ireland qualified for, for 2016. Um, and not only qualified, actually played really well and got through the group stages, beat Ukraine, you know, big Gareth McCauley, um, a colleague of ours at another of our, our sister newspapers, always had this tradition of putting a fiver on Gareth McCauley to score. Um, uh, and I, I can't remember asking him if he did in that game or not, but he'd have been absolutely pig sick if he hadn't put that bet on. And big GMAC rose like a salmon at the back, big Ulster salmon at the back post to, uh, to head into the net. Um, and Stuart Dallas, of course, you know, was a big, big part of that Northern Ireland team who did so well and, and went out to Wales for a pretty fluky goal, um, if I remember correctly. And that, was, that was difficult to take. And Michael McGovern made about 700 saves against Germany. I mean, it's just wonderful. But European Championships for me, any summer tournament for me really is to be utterly cherished because it's just wall-to-wall football and then you get I mean you do get to that horrible stage where you know players need rest times because they can't play every day so you know you stagger the games when it gets the knockout but that initial stage where there's just all the football all the time it's truly wonderful it really is I mean if you love football you must adore major championships like this it's great. You just put the telly on and there's just always football on, isn't there? There's just always an excuse to watch football at any time of the day, it feels like. And if the Copper America goes ahead as well, it's going to be absolutely nuts this year, isn't it? I think the BBC have got the, the rights to those. It's going to be wall-to-wall football on the Beeb. So I can't wait. I think it's going to be... I think there's a lot of, obviously, interest in terms of Calvin, but I remember the 20, 2016 and... I remember really rooting for Wales and Northern Ireland, obviously, when just because I think you could almost slightly before that, because it was before the 2018 World Cup. And I think before England sort of harnessed that 
I think you looked on quite jealous in sort of a jealous capacity. It's sort of the close knit net, you know, the nation was all together. You could kind of tell that from afar. And obviously we had an interesting shoe at Dallas. I remember watching him in 2016 and it was sort of joy to watch. You could see how much it meant to people. Um, football does funny things, doesn't it? And it unites nations, it unites people. And I think it was really nice to see that from afar. England, obviously, in the European Championships, as I've already reeled off, don't need to cover it, have always disappointed, but let's hope they can sort of turn it around. I think I missed off as well. I remember Greece winning it, which was absolutely nuts when you think about it, looking back. Was it 2004? We had, I think we had a Greek family at our primary school and I just remember them going absolutely bonkers for days and days and days. It was just, and just things like that, not even the actual football, just like little things that you remember from childhood or from sort of the football creates is is magical, isn't it? So hopefully we can have some of that this summer, obviously a huge shame for Northern Ireland not to be there. And that's not me sticking the boot in it genuinely is obviously because we, I would like to see all the sort of home nations do well. And I hope that Wales can, can go far too. Um, I, I neglected to mention Will Grigg, Will Grigg's on fire being like the Northern Irish Anthem for 2016. He wasn't on fire on the pitch because he didn't play at all, but Northern Ireland fans sang the song throughout the entire tournament. <laughs> He did another interview the other day, didn't he, saying he hated it. I feel a bit sorry for him now, but it is a great tune. So, Yeah, well, I mean, I think he was trying to make the point that, that the Wigan fans started singing this song because he was he was genuinely on fire at Wigan. Um, and it, it kind of hasn't gone so well for him since. Um, but he did go into the, that tournament on the back of that song and Northern Ireland fans absolutely loved it. It's just super catchy, isn't it? So... Um, that was a weird one, you know, singing songs about a player who actually wasn't really doing anything, hasn't really done anything for Northern Ireland. Um, let's talk about Leeds at the Euros then, Euro 2020. Um, busy old first few days. Uh, it starts with Tyler Roberts on Saturday um, against Switzerland. You would imagine his role, if any, would be that of impact sub because of the attacking players that that are slightly ahead of him. Um, what do you reckon for that game? Let's try and predict. Let's try and predict the results. I'll make a note of them, and then uh, we can have a wee look next week at how, how we did. So, so we're saying Wales Switzerland. I'm going to say Wales are going to win two one. You stole that out of my mouth. I think it's probably. I think both both teams have good attacking options, don't they? You think about like Bale and and then you think about, was it Shaqiri for Switzerland? So yeah, I'll go, I, I would like to see Wales kick off with a win. So I'm going to go 3-1. I know it's ambitious, but I think Gareth Bale might set the game alight, hopefully. Okay. Um, on Sunday, we have England and Croatia, Calvin Phillips. I'm still in two minds over whether I think Calvin's going to play or not. Um, I really hope that he. I really hope that he does. And we know that Southgate likes him. It depends an awful lot, doesn't it, if he goes for a, a back three or a back four, and who he wants as his holding midfielders. Um, I'll let you predict that one first. I'll go England two 0 revenge for the semi final of the World Cup a few years ago when England should have beaten Croatia, but Harry Kane couldn't square the ball. So hopefully he does square the ball in this game. I want to say England 1-0. Um, and then later on Sunday, we have Gianni Alioski 
in North Macedonia against Austria. Gianni on the, the big stage in Europe. He's a key player for North Macedonia. He's in my uh, UEFA fantasy team because I can see him getting an assist or popping up with a goal maybe or scoring a penalty um, if North Macedonia do get amongst the goals. Um, for that one, however, I'm going to say Austria have a bit too much and Austria win that one 3-1. Uh, what are you saying? I'm going to go one all. Okay. Johnny to score with an overhead? Obviously, yeah, from the halfway line. From the halfway line. Uh, on Monday, um, Braveheart, Liam Cooper takes on the Czech Republic. Um, I'll let you go first. 2-1 to Scotland. Oh. Come on, the Tartan Army. The Tartan Army, indeed. Um yeah, I think I'm going to say 1-1 one, one in that game. I think it'll be a good game, though. Uh, Monday also brings us Spain and Sweden um, with hopefully some Leeds United representation. For that one, I think Spain will win it 1-0. Go on. I'm just thinking about their preparations and how much they've been disrupted. And so I think they're going to come together because of it. I think it's going to <laughs> bond, bond them together. Like a, a changing room moment. Look at what we've been through. Um, I'm going to go Sweden to get a, a draw there. and I'm going to say one all. I think Sweden, Sweden can grind something out in that one just because of the disruptions. Although, obviously, if Rodrigo plays, it changes my mind. So, I'll, I'll stick with it. Um, of course, there's the potential because the Spanish Health Service have authorised the vaccination of the, the entire Spain squad, haven't they? Which will be a controversial move, I'm sure, for some. Um, but we don't yet know the side effects of the vaccine in football terms, you know, whether it makes you more magnetic for the ball uh, or gives you just that extra little boost on the pitch. So... Um, that could be a bit. That could that could be a factor. Just thinking about it, they won't need to wear their vests anymore because they'll have like a little GPS tracker thing, won't they? <laughs> uh, you shouldn't. You shouldn't say stuff like that. We'll probably. We'll probably. This pod will not probably carry that that COVID government message, won't it? For for real COVID information, visit. Um, <laughs> so and then the the remaining Leeds man. I think unless no, we, we've missed out. Robin Cup, but he's Tuesday. We'll get to him. Matthias Click and Poland. Um, they'll face Slovakia. Now Click was left out of the final warm-up game for Poland. Um, Paulo Souza was given a list of players they should not use by the team doctor, and Clicky was among them, so he didn't play. If he's fit, I would expect him to play because I think he's a he's a big part of that Poland side. Um, Souza was talking about him in in terms of um, dictating and determining how they can play. So if he's fit, he plays. And I think Poland win that game. Um, I think Click will get an assist. And I think they'll beat Slovakia 2-0. Um, I reckon 3-0. I think they're going to have too much. Click style on. 
Uh, um, and then I was thinking back to when he first joined Leeds United and the fact that he'd been away from the Poland team for so long and didn't really sort of harbour any future hopes of, of being back in there. And for him to sort of now be going to a tournament with his country and, and being picked out as one of the key players is is a magnificent... It just sort of emphasises the turnaround that he's had in his career since he joined Leeds and since Marcelo Bielsa sort of joined. I was just thinking... Like, I was, Thinking about how we would think about going to the Euros and, and sort of relishing it, just a nice, nice, nice little end to this journey for him after the Premier League as well. Um, so that takes us to Robin Cock and Germany against France. Um, oh, I don't think I don't think I can see Robin starting against France. Um, I wonder if. The next major tournament and the one after that might be more for him once he's fully established himself as a, a Premier League defender at Leeds. Um, I'm going to say, just because I have a feeling, France won Germany too. I'm going to say two all. That that group is honking, isn't it? For yeah, was it Germany, France, Hungary, Portugal? Poor Hungary. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were thinking. That, I mean, yeah. I mean, group of death doesn't really cover. It. I mean, what's worse? What's worse than death? Group of group group of being buried alive. That's what that is. Um, yeah, Portugal, France, and Germany all in one all in one group. Um, yeah, and, and by this time next week, you know, by the time we hopefully can record again, um, we'll be in amongst it. We'll be right in amongst it, Joe. In the in the thick of it, football coming out of our ears. Um, the the Euros fever. I wondered how how do you feel about it being across eleven cities? I was torn initially because I like obviously because we've never had it before. I think everyone doesn't like change, but I like the fact that it goes to one country. Usually, you know, you immerse yourself in the stadiums, the teams all set up there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How are you feeling about it? Because obviously, Wales of Difficult for fans in the current climate because they've gone to Azerbaijan, which seems, in my head, a little crazy. But I just wondered what you thought on it. Well, well I mean, I think from a COVID point of view, it's absolute madness um, to have so much travelling going on. Just for me, is increased risk. If you were if you were in one place, then a team could have a base and they could stay in that base and go from their base to the stadium and back. Um, it might be a bit claustrophobic, but that's just how it's got to be. Um, the increased travelling, I don't really like. But from a, a viewing point of view, I couldn't give a flying fig um, where where the games are, really. Um, a bit of an atmosphere would be a plus. I'm just here for the I'm just here for the football. I'm here for the stunning goals. I want lots, lots and lots of goals in the top corner from long range. Um, an overhead kick would be preferable. Thank you, Johnny. Um, you watch, you watch Gianni Alyoski score an absolute scorcher at the Euros because the major tournament goals where players, you know, put the ball in the top corner, you can instantly think of them, can't you? I mean, you think of uh, the names Bond, James Rodriguez. Uh, do you remember that headline after he scored that goal? <laughs> that is the worst thing to ever happen in journalism by a country mile. Um, but when he scored that volley in off the bar, goals like that, Goals like Van Basten's for the Netherlands, they stick with you for the longest time. 
uh, Ray Hyten against the US, um, against Italy in the USA. Um, just stunning strikes that just stick with you forever. Um, wouldn't it be amazing if a Leeds player was to provide one of those moments and be like that goal that everyone remembers? Frank Lampard against Germany that was four foot over the line. That was never- well, well, we'll never know. You know, the technology wasn't ready, Joe, so we'll never really know. But we- <laughs> that was nearly as bad as the, uh, the penalty at uh, the Crusaders penalty that Stuart Dallas got so angry about the other day. Incredible. Um, I, I really hope that, that VAR doesn't um, doesn't lessen the enjoyment as a viewer. Of course, it is. It's going to have a huge impact on the tournament. I just hope they get more decisions right than they get wrong. Which in the Premier League this season feels like a very close percentage. Unfortunately, I don't know. Um, we'll see how it gets impacted. I guess maybe that's talking of fantasy teams. Probably a good reason to pick a lot of penalty takers, isn't it? Because you think there's probably going to be some penalties given or a fair amount of penalties given. You've seen it across the board, across Europe, with the stats in terms of penalties given because of VAR. They've gone through the roof, haven't they? So maybe that is a one thing to look out for, set-piece takers. But fingers crossed Calvin can, can produce a volley or something absolutely insane. We can all go mental because how exciting it is to have... You spoke on it a little bit before, but so much Leeds United involvement at an international tournament is just a fantastic thing from where the football club's been. There's obviously been a few in the past here or there in the Championship. You can probably most recently Pontus Janssen with Sweden, but to have, was it, seven, potentially eight if Rodrigo gets called up and seven, obviously, if Diego Lorente can get there. It's, it's just fantastic and so much interest for Leeds fans to watch on. So, Fingers crossed they can all come back healthy or come back fit and, and they all have a great tournament. And we'll see what Janny decides to do once it concludes, I guess. Can you imagine if VAR had been around at the uh, at the last World Cup when fans were viewing in those big parks and chucking their beers everywhere every time a goal went in? You know, it, oh, VAR would mean that you were just covered in beer but had no goal to show for it. I mean, that would have just been... You'd have just gone home stinking of... Horrible beer. I mean, it never made sense to me anyway because I enjoy beer. Unlike Declan Rice, who's revealed that he's never had a beer because he doesn't like the smell of it. Um, that's fine. Each their own. But I do really like beer. But I, I don't. I suppose it wouldn't be so bad if you're just holding some cheap lager in your hand and you think, "Yeah, I can throw this." You know, it's actually disgusting anyway, and it's starting to get warm. But I've never really wanted to throw a beer away. So that always, I don't know. I, I always thought. That's silly. Bit silly, that. Would you just, like, if if a goal was scored randomly in a stadium, would you get a fiver out your wallet and just rip it up and throw it in the air? That's what I don't understand. <laughs> because, <laughs> because beer, when you go into these, like, fan parks, and a pint now is dear, isn't it? It's, like, nearly five quid these days. Would you just do that? It just makes... Yeah. I think a lot of that was for show, I think, unfortunately. People were obviously very well aware they were being filmed. I think there was a few elements of sometimes you just don't know what to do. I think the Columbia penalty win for England springs to mind. I watched that at home on my own, which is probably the best case for that situation because I, I, I think I was I, I was nearly physically sick standing behind the sofa watching the penalty shootout. But yeah, I think a lot of people 
we're obviously very aware that it were being filmed. I think there's, all, there's always that like, box park in there in London. There's always a big camera at the front of that. So it always feels a bit forced at times. But it just never made sense to me. Would you rip up money? I just don't get it. I certainly would not rip up money, Joe. Um, and let's hope that Leeds aren't ripping up any money with their summer signings. Hopefully, in the next week or so, we'll get to hear a bit more about what's going on. I think Leeds are trying to trying to do the old um, keep it keep it under their hat till the till something is really starting to happen, um, which is the right thing to do, really. Because particularly if you think that your left back is going to be a popular choice, and other clubs are suddenly rushed into uh, declaring interest as well, then you can find uh, the goalposts shifting rather quickly. Um, the Euros are upon us. Enjoy the first weekend. Here's to a lot of Leeds United involvement and some match minutes and an awful lot to talk about when we come back to you in episode 103. Thanks very much for joining us. <laughs>